1849 death in Baltimore remains to this day one of America's great unsolved literary mysteries. April 1726, Mary Toft was weeding in a field and caught sight of a rabbit. She chased it, and though the animal escaped her grasp, it wouldn't leave her mind. I'm Fraser Coffeen. And I'm Jennifer Coffeen. And this is Creepy History. Greetings and welcome. Hello. Very exciting to be here once again. Yeah, this is episode five. Episode five. I think of it as our post-vaccination episode, right? We're oh, all, we're yay! All we we healthy. Have, we have one shot. Well, we're one shot in. But I feel yeah. I feel you know more uh, more invigorated. Yes. Full of full of life, ready to go. <laughs> Take things on. Uh, I'm feeling half of half full of life. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. That's valid. I was a, I was a quarter full, and now I have half. And sore, and and sore. Yeah, a little bit of the sore arm. It's all right. That's okay. Um, but it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm super excited for my story tonight. Good. I'm, I'm excited, excited for mine. Excited. Yeah, I'm excited for mine. It's going to be nice. Um, I mine actually. I was inspired by yours last week, so I, I changed mine up. I had a plan for what I was going to do, but I was so excited about your uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And yeah, his... and Arthur Gordon Pym and all of that sure, kind of sure. stuff like that because it's interesting stuff. Yeah. So yeah, and we did not know that Edgar Allan Poe, you know, had visions of the future. <laughs> yes. Now we do. <laughs> do we though? Do we though? My story, I just stumbled on it. I I read something of it a long time, like you know, a while back. I don't know, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I just found it again and like deep dived into it, and I was like, this is the story of all stories. Nice, this story is insane. Good, yeah. That's excellent. Um, I want to hear about your cocktail, because it looks very fancy. It's got like a rim of, is it sugar? It is. Okay, so mm-hmm. this is a cocktail that I have never had before, but and I didn't even know what was in it, but I have certainly heard of. This is a sidecar. Oh. Yeah, it's very well known. Yeah, I've definitely heard. I've, you, sure. you, you like read it a lot. Yeah, sidecar. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a famous cocktail. Okay. I've never had one. I've nope. never known what's in it, um, but this is it. This is the sidecar. So... Um, so what's in it? It's got, uh, it's, it's short. It's just like a, one yeah, it's just a, it's a sipping kind of drink. Yeah. One thumbful. Yeah. It's definitely a, it's definitely a sipper as mm-hmm. opposed to a gulper. Cause it's all alcohol, you know, not entirely. There's some lemon juice in there okay. and some Cointreau and some cognac. Okay. And those are your ingredients. And then it has a, uh, it has the a sugar rim. Is, the lemon juice is supposed to cut it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, there you go. So there's there's um, so the sidecar little history behind it. Uh, big drink in the early 20th century came around in like World War One era. Oh sure, um, yeah. You know during that like real cocktail time. I mean I feel like it needed to be around when there was a sidecar. Well, the assumption is that <laughs> it is named after. Um, a patron who ordered it, who like who asked the bartenders to make it, uh, who would arrive at the bar with a motorcycle with a sidecar. Well, yeah, that's of course. The, that's the yeah. story. These these I'm fascinated learning more and it was more. Like a, it was like a cocktail takeout, and they would just, like, exactly. would just like drive by in yeah. a sidecar, and they just like, hand it down. <laughs> and get it, get it, they'd hand it off to the guy in the sidecar. He's got his like giant goggles on. Exactly. Like, like, scarf. Oh, gotta have the scarf for sure. <laughs> What's the point of driving a motorcycle with a sidecar? I just I have you don't have a scarf. The full vision of that. Sure. Yeah. You can see it well. <laughs> and it's in a to-go cup. 
<laughs> the straw. Now my vision has been damaged a little bit, but yes, yes, that's the gist. <laughs> Um, there's a couple different stories about exactly where it originated, which bar, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was definitely that time period. Um, now two things that are worth noting about, uh, or three things, I guess, worth noting about our particular sidecar. One, I have put, um, sugar on the rim, which is pretty common nowadays, though I understand that there are some sidecar purists who would be annoyed by that. Mm. But nowadays, I think most of, most of the time, it you do get sugar on the rim. Makes it too sweet, or yeah. just takes away from the alcohol. Exactly. <laughs> they exactly. Anything else. They're like, we already put lemon juice in it, what do you want? Yeah, what, do you, what do you need? There's a tiny little sh- orange peel, yeah. and there's lemon juice. It's pretty. It's very I pretty. Like the lem- I like the orange peel. Um, and... Uh, so that's well, that's one thing. Two, definitely people would not be thrilled that we are having this in a like a like a shorter glass. You know, it should be served in more of like a martini glass style. This is oh, not really? this is not the right glass. But yeah. as we've already established, we gave away our martini glasses, and so we, we don't sure own did. any. That's right. So we have everything out of our out of our creepy history. I was glasses. purging. I was yeah. purging glassware. Doesn't matter. This, these glasses <laughs> yeah, work these just glasses fine. Yeah, these glasses are the best. They're the creepy history glasses. Exactly. They're official. All right. Um, and. Uh, I did, and um, I'll say, too, I splurged a little bit and yeah. got higher-end ingredients for this. So we have actual Cointreau as opposed to some sort of knockoff, and we have Remy Martin Cognac. Ooh. So, uh, Is that the fancy? It's fancy. All right. So I, I decided, you know, let's let's get something of a higher quality, see how it, see how it does for us. Yeah. All right, let's see how this is. I have All no right. clue. Cheers. I'm excited. I feel like it's going to be uh, a lot. I think I'm going to, like, lick a tiny bit of the <laughs> sugar. That's oh, what I do I when see. I have a margarita. Like, I, like I do a little... You do? What, don't how do you deal with the salt on the margarita? I, I don't know. I just drink it. What does what happens to the salt? Yeah, it just kind of gets in there. I guess I don't lick it like a cat. <laughs> Whatever. I didn't realize that we judged. I've never seen you do that. You you do it subtle, like just a little, just to get a little salt on the tongue. <laughs> All right, go ahead. It's gonna be delicious. <laughs> Well, that's very good. It's definitely very alcoholic. It's very good. It's very alcoholic. I have to say, the lemon really makes a difference. It's a lot of lemon. I kind of like it. I like it, too. We'll see how I do after a couple sips. I can see how you could... A lot of times when you add that, like, one little teeny thing, you mm-hmm. know, that's not out with the double alcohol, like, it doesn't do anything, but the yeah, lemon right. really helps. Like, the, you know what I mean? It's it very does lemony. cut yeah. it. Oh, for sure. Like, legitimately. And the sugar, too. I could even see going a tiny bit less lemon, though mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, it is very lemony. Not less lemon for me. So you can't put this over the rocks? Because I feel like an ice cube would help. You can. Yeah. You can go get but a you're put not an ice cube. To. In it. Whatever, man. Do, right. You do you. <laughs> okay. You do your thing. So I'm there right. we go. That's the sidecar. Now, I, there, the sidecar does have a connection to my story, but it's uh-huh. not revealed until late in the story. Okay. So I can't tell you right now. All right. Does someone, is someone get decapitated in a sidecar? Oh, that would be awesome. Is that happen? I don't understand how that wouldn't happen all the time. But the sidecar like person I, is seated lower, lower than the than person the driving oh. the motorcycle. Okay. But I guess because they're off to the side, I guess it probably wouldn't cut their head off. Are no, it would cut their head off. It's like a car. It's just like a passenger car. Are there car accidents? 
like where it hits something, you know, it tries to go through like a tunnel or something. It's just the width of a car. Why would that happen? <laughs> Why would anything different happen to the passenger in a sidecar than would happen to the passenger in a car? Uh, all right, good point. I'm going to look up sidecar accidents after this. My concern for the sidecar would be that they seem really low to the ground. So it seems like the mm-hmm. risk for them is that like they're going to go over like a board and it's going to like impale their butt or something like that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they're very low. Yeah. That seems like the danger. Just nervous about it. Uh, yeah, I certainly wouldn't ride in one. <laughs> Although, would I? If someone pulled up with a sidecar and was like, let's yes. take a drive, I yeah, probably would have to. I would. If they, if they pulled up next to you and they had a to-go cup with a sidecar drink in it and they're like, get in. I would ride if I could have some aviator goggles and yeah, like and a the, helmet and, and a scarf. scarf. And the to-go cup. And some gloves. Yeah. Yeah, then I would do it. And the to-go cup of sidecar. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't see that part. I don't think that's legal. <laughs> you're not, you're not up. I see that you have your story, but you're, oh, it's not your it's turn. Oh, it's not my turn. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Let's go. Don't peek at my story either. Mm-mm. All right. All right. Here we go. My story. So, as I said, my story was, um, was, I was inspired. I changed my story based on what you did last week because I mentioned this last week, love Edgar Allan Poe. I could talk Edgar Allan Poe all day. Sweet. And so I decided, you know what? Many people may know this story. Maybe not. But I'm going to tell one of my just favorite things, which is the story of the death of Edgar Allan Poe. A good one. Now, before I launch into the death of Edgar Allan Poe, I mentioned that the sidecar does have a connection to the story, which will be revealed later. I will say the sidecar was a late change to the plan. This just, I just changed the, the drink two days ago. Yeah. The creepy cocktail originally was going to be... Oh, I did <laughs> contemplate something absinthe-based, but I decided against it. Um, but no, I, I, I was searching online and found that there is a drink called... The Raven. Really? Yes. What is it? Uh, okay, so this is why I decided to disqualify yeah. it. It is equal parts vodka, mm-hmm. rum, chambord, oh. and blue curacao. Oh. Take equal parts of those, mix them together, and thus you have the Raven. And with every drink, you get a free little garbage can to vomit into yes. afterwards. I think you have a couple Ravens, and then you say never more, and that's the end of that. <laughs> oh, yes. Boom. Uh, it felt very college and very oh, like, yeah. I don't I don't know that I can do that. Yeah. I can't mix these four things together and serve them up. You can't mix all those liquors together like that. Ugh. That definitely is like college guy being like, I got all this stuff in the, in the know, pantry. What like, are we going to do? It's going to make a punch. Oh. It's going to be great. We'll I've had we'll call lot, it the Raven. had a lot of those punches. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So that's the Raven. I can just smell it right now. You can smell it. You can smell that blue. Did you ever go to a bar? I don't know if they still do this. It was very popular to be in, I don't know, like a popular college type bar in Chicago, and then they would walk around with, like, those test tubes full of some sort of weird... Yeah, shot. they had it at uh, Killer Margaritas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like, it was always, like, blue or green yeah, yeah. or, like, you know, some some really hideous color, and it was, like, in a test tube, and they walk around, and you just, like, do... Oh, jeez. Yeah. They would give them to you at so uh, at Killer Margaritas. Uh, they'd give them to you for free if you were lingering at your table for too long, and there was yes, a line of yes. people. In order to get you out the door, they would be like, they would come around and be like, yeah. "Excuse me, we have people who would really like your table. If we give you this test tube full of blue alcohol, we go sit at the will bar. you leave? Yeah, or go sit at the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, sure. yeah, like if you're still drinking, if you're still nursing the giant margarita. Take a shot and then take your giant margarita over to the bar. <laughs> those oh. those were big margaritas. They were really big. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Sorry. 
Shout, like shout, out, shout out to Killer Margaritas. We, we loved your margaritas <laughs> back in the day. You. All right. We can't drink you anymore. No, they're uh, Okay, so I... All right, all right, let me go, let me go. I was interestedly going to talk a little bit about his death as well in like a little short. So, um... Oh, well, it's a good you, thing then. Yeah, you're doing right. this though. If you miss a, something, I'll jump in. Oh, that dang. <laughs> dang. <laughs> you're just like this one interesting part. All right, I'll be quiet. Your turn. Bold. Yes. If you miss something, <laughs> I'll jump in. <laughs> The pressure. All right, here I go. Right, go ahead. Cross my fingers. I'm ready. So, the death of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, the story begins on September 27th, 1849. Edgar Allan Poe, 40 years old. He is in Richmond, Virginia at the time, and he leaves on September 27th to travel to Philadelphia for an editing job. He lives in New York at the time, but he's uh, on his way from Richmond, Virginia to Philadelphia. He's got some editing work to do there. Sure. And he doesn't. <laughs> as, as you do. As you do, right? And then there's a week-long period where he's just gone. No mm-hmm. info on where he is. No nothing. Gone. Poof. Yeah. Out of there. Does he, he miss the job? Like, does he not show up? Uh, no, he never, he never makes it to Philadelphia. Okay. He leaves Richmond. Yeah, And the next way. time that he is seen is on the evening of October 3rd. So about a week later, where he is found delirious outside of a tavern. It's a little bit unclear. Either outside of or inside of mm-hmm. a tavern in Baltimore. Not where he was headed. Sure. But he's found at some tavern in Baltimore. He's discovered by a local guy named Joseph W. Walker, who apparently sees him, again, a little bit unclear, some different stories, you know, either sees him like sort of passed out in the bar or like passed out in the like gutter outside the bar and goes to check on him and is like, and is like, uh, Hey, Hey buddy, uh, you <laughs> yeah, okay right? there drunkard? And then, he, and then Walker is like, Oh crap, it's Edgar Allan Poe. Um, so yeah, he's like, oh, recognizes and oh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Post, you know, Poe's yeah. not like crazy famous, but he's definitely known. He had that mustache. You know yeah. He's got I mean? a look, you yeah. know? So he, so he's discovered by this guy, this guy, Joseph Walker, uh, writes a letter to Poe's friend there in Baltimore, Dr. Joseph Snodgrass, um, which I love that he writes a letter for this, but I mean, it's 1849. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, also, mail was delivered like two times a day. So well, and I would imagine it was in the same town, it probably got there quite quick. Right. And he might have wrote, written, like, had his own, you know, he might have had a guy that he sent Yeah, like, like sent it off. You know, take, yeah. this, take this to the home yeah. of Joseph Snodgrass. It's just, it's pip, like, pip. Make haste, good fellow. Ten minutes longer than a text message. Exactly. <laughs> With that system. Here is, here is his letter. Here is, his, here is what oh, he says. Wow. Dear sir, there is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward Poles, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe, and who appears in great distress. And he says he is acquainted with you. And I assure you, he is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker. Yikes. Now, what does that mean, the Fourth Ward Poles? Okay, so it's election day in Baltimore, mm. local election in Baltimore, and this bar that he is at is is uh, serving polls. as one of the polling Got places. Got it, okay. So that's why, that's why there's more people there, a little more action. Uh, and that will be important later. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, so sends off. So Snodgrass... Um, gets together another fellow by the name of Dr. John Joseph Moran, who is Poe's doctor. And Snodgrass and Moran go and get him. So they get him from from Walker. Poe is indeed a mess. Yeah. He is no good. Uh, 
his eyes, uh, Moran describes as being, quote, lusterless and vacant. Oh, yikes. Um, he is wearing, uh, his hair is all a mess. He's wearing shabby clothes. This is very unlike him. Poe mm-hmm. is a very well-put-together, well-dressed, a little bit of a kind of a dandy type. He's very, right. you know, he's, he's immaculate. So, you know, for him to be all disheveled is way weird. Right. Um, and he's just incoherent. You know, they're just, they're just, he's not, they can't get much out of him. Yeah. So Moran hospitalizes him very, uh, very wisely um, and hospitalizes him that, that night on uh, October 3rd. And he is largely incoherent. Uh, he is in the hospital for four days. And here's what happens during those four days. Uh various sort of bits and pieces. Number one, he for the spends the majority of those four days like either unconscious or not able to articulate anything. He really doesn't get yeah. out of this incoherent Just kind of like fading in and out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and when he is in um, and able to talk, it's not much. Um, he apparently yells out the name Reynolds mm-hmm. or maybe the name Herring. I don't know. Reynolds, Herring. They don't sound that similar. Not very. Not very. Maybe he's saying both. Reynolds, Herring. Maybe Reynolds is eating Herring. Who knows? <laughs> but he yells one of those things. All right. Or maybe both. Who some, knows? Some poor nurse is sitting like next to him, like trying to write it down. Just like, I don't know. Well, this all comes, all of these details, is a good point to say, all of these details come from his doctor, Moran. Now, the problem here is that Moran is really the only person who has any, like, account from this time, from right, these, from these right, days right. in the hospital. And I'm and, sure he's not sitting there the whole time. Right. And, and Moran, yeah, all the details come from him. They are not super credible. Um, they've changed, they changed over the years. Moran wrote about this, like, a couple years later, and then he wrote about it again some years after that, mm-hmm. and then he did, like, and then he did, like, some speaking engagements where he talked about it. And in all of those, they were they were a little bit different. And okay. then by the end, Moran was, um, you know, it was still kind of giving details that were still a little different, but he was also starting to deal with some dementia and things like that. So, like, it's all a little, yeah, 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 it's yeah. all pretty sketchy. Well, and also, like, because he knew what happened afterwards, he probably started to, like, you know, add in mm-hmm. that, kind, you know, yeah, that kind of thing to it. Yeah. So it's very, so, so take everything sure. here grain that happens salt. at the hospital with a grain of salt. It all comes from one source and that source is a little dubious. Right. Not that Moran's a bad guy. It's just he's, he, the, the people yeah. don't trust that his memory of it is accurate. Um, so yeah, so he yells Reynolds or maybe Herring. <laughs> he, um, he uh, asks a couple, a number of times for his wife in Richmond, says he needs to go see his wife in Richmond. Mm-hmm. His wife, Virginia, is dead at this point. She died two years prior from tuberculosis. This is the cousin. This is his wife, his cousin, Virginia, yeah. who they married when Poe was 27 and Virginia was 13. Yeah, we discussed that in mine. Yep. And I just had in parentheses. No. Yep, we yeah, talked about that. Really but just a reminder, in case you didn't listen last week, 27, yeah. 13 Ugh. cousins. Yeah. She's dead. It's really bad. She, she, died, she died of the TB. Um, the sun. She died of the T. <laughs> the TB, the TB, not the T. I said the T. No, the TB, the sun. Like, that's what I shortened it to. She had the sump. She coughed. She coughed blood into yes. a handkerchief, and then you know, an hour later in the film, she died. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. That's pretty much how they did it. Yeah. So anyway, so he calls out for her sometimes. 
Um, Moran reports that at some point Poe tells him, in a moment of some greater coherence, Poe tells him that the best thing he could do is, quote, blow out his brains with a pistol. Oh, jeez. That's what he asked Moran Moran to do. Moran's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get you some jello. <laughs> On October 7th, uh, four days after he was found, October 7th, at, again, age 40, Poe dies there in that hospital in Baltimore, never having regained uh, a, a true semblance of conscious, wow. consciousness. Um, his last words, again, according to Moran, Lord, help my poor soul. Aww. And then he's dead. And that is that. Now, once again, there is some uh, some credibility problems because Moran later changed his story. I mean, that does sound extremely dramatic. Oh, a- you ain't heard nothing yet. <laughs> so first he says, yes, he died and said, Lord, help my poor soul. Then Moran later changed and said, nope, here is his actual last words. Get ready for this. All right. <clears throat> Quote, the arched heavens encompass me. And God has his decree legibly written upon the frontlets of every created human being and demons incarnate. Their goal will be the seething waves of blank despair. That was that was what Poe said before he died. That's what Moran said. Poe so, said he spent four days being like yeah, Herring, Reynolds, 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 like you can't make it. Yeah, you dead can't wife, make it out, and, and now he comes out with this. Yeah, so that's probably yeah. not accurate. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> I think we can. Jeez. I think we can rule that that's out. Hilarious. Um. But he yeah. just felt like he had to give him like some really good last words, and it's long it's too. Long. Like well, who think, says that? If you're if you're saying that and yeah. sitting up in bed and saying that, I don't think you're you like. No. You, I think you're going to be okay. Well, I think again, Moran was his like friend and his doctor. I think yeah. he wanted to like give just him some to... sort of like, you know, really pump him up in death. Yeah. Anyway, so nice. so yes, so he dies. There's not really medical records or any or some any known cause of death. Um, yeah. There's no, there's no but information. But to be fair, there often wasn't at sure. that time. Sure. But that is, that's, just like that's where we were at. Vapors? <laughs> Could be anything. Cold, ill wind? <laughs> so people start to come up with, you know, obviously, you know, this is a famous person. He's yeah, dead. Nobody yeah. knows why. Theories start to come up. Here's the major theories. And this is the second week in a row that I've had major theories, so I apologize for that. No, but I'm ready. Major theories. What else is this podcast? I know. This is what we got. Um, number one, that it was some sort of depression and some sort of, like, that he had some kind of, that he drank some kind of poison or something like that, mm-hmm. that he committed suicide. Yeah. Um, that, like, it went wrong. It, like, took too long or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the sort of evidence for this theory is that, number one, um, Yes, it is true. He was very despondent after his cousin wife died two years <laughs> prior, his child child bride cousin wife. Um, when she had died two years before, he was indeed extraordinarily despondent. Yeah. Um, and in 1848, a year prior, he had overdosed on laudanum and nearly died. And um, there's questions over if that was a suicide attempt or right. if that was or just, just, a, like just an, an accidental, accidental overdose. Yeah. So un- unclear there. Um, there's been some some like you know uh, analysis of his like writings in this at this final time uh, that people have done since like you know therapists and psychologists have done since and they've sort of looked at that and said eh, it does not indicate necessarily a you know suicidal bent. So this is right. not usually thought of as as the thing. Um, but if somebody is a substance abuse. You, you know, which he was. I mean, he was a, he was a drinker. He was an opiate user. Um, I don't think, and he was somebody who had, you know, attempted, possibly attempted a suicide before. Like, I don't know if it always takes some, a huge push. You know what I mean? Store that 
opiate user thing in, in your pocket for a minute. Okay. We'll come back to that. Okay. Um, another theory was that there was some sort of murder or beating, mm-hmm. some sort of assault. There is uh, someone who put out a theory for this, um, but it's not. It, it's it's pretty. It's pretty just sort of like. It, it's it's a little bit sort of like uh, the that theory is a little bit like the History Channel stuff about like well can we definitively say there aren't aliens you know it's kind of like that is it's this like, the cooping thing no it's not the cooping thing oh, okay this the murder the murder theory is just sort of oh, like sure, it's just sure, sort sure. of like guesses like I don't know yeah. maybe somebody did this thing yeah 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 it, there's not a lot of backing to it the cooping thing that's another one of the theories so the idea of this cooping. Uh, aspect. This is what, when you brought up, you know, the poles, this is yeah. where cooping comes in. So cooping was a thing at the time where gangs would kidnap and, quote, coop people during uh, election seasons. They would then force them to vote um, many times under many different names and wearing different clothes. So the thought is, did perhaps some gang kidnap Poe, um, you know, get him, get him drunk, so that he would be, you know, um, so that he'd be a little more kind of incoherent, which would sort of yeah. help him. To, uh, and then uh, and then force him to go out and vote, like, a whole bunch of times. And then, like, kind of beat him up in the process. It was election day. Yeah. That was a polling station. Um, there's definitely some really, thoughts here. And he was, he was in, in really, really bad clothes. clothes. Not, didn't look like himself. Like disheveled, yeah. There's a couple reasons that this is, there's a couple th- things that sort of discredit this somewhat. Number one. Again, Poe wasn't like crazy famous. Like he's not like Mark Twain, but he's not right. he's not nobody. So it does it is a little bit sort of like questionable of like, well, I don't know, would they would they have picked a guy who was kind of visibly known to people? That's yeah, a question. Yeah, but they might not. Maybe know not. Who he was. Hard to say. And number two, I will say that when I this is my other reason that I'm a little skeptical of this. Um, when I did my research into this and was like, cooping, let me read up more about this. The vast majority of like cooping articles that you find online or references to it, it's all very circular. Mm-hmm. It all refers back to Poe. Like there's very little talking about cooping outside of Poe. Right. So like, I, I, you know, and the, the one thing that I found that was sort of contemporary from that time described cooping in a different way. It described it as um, people... Uh, kidnapping those who were going to vote the other side and like keeping them locked up for the day so they couldn't vote. That's the only contemporary note about I cooping see. I could find. So I'm not 100% sure like, that this is an accurate description. To just stranger off the street and go make him yeah. vote like several times seems really a little uh, bit yeah. much. I, I, I feel like I'm yeah. not 100% sure if that's a really a thing that happened a whole lot and I feel like a lot of the reason that it did happen, that it's sort of thought of as a theory now, it's very circular, right? You know, well, but I've heard that Poe did it. And Poe but it also seems anyway. like it was kind of a more volatile time when they were having these elections that there were just like roving gangs mm-hmm. of like probably extremely drunk men going around like possibly, you know, threatening people, possibly like trying to kidnap people, like possibly just trying to cause or make trouble yes. for, you know, to help their side and like real riled up and all, you know, all that type yeah. of thing. So, I mean, it's very possible that he could have just gotten pulled in on that and just gotten beat up. Possibly. Really badly. Possibly. Like he's gotten his head hit really hard. Yes. Um, you know, something that, where he was also drunk. Like right. maybe he was drunk, maybe he got drunk with them, you know, yeah. It is customary that you had a drink after voting. So, okay. um, so there, yeah, so you're right. So there's definitely a lot of drunk people around. So yeah, unsure. 
some yeah. sort of cooping Something. thing. That cooping thing. That's what I was going to Oh, okay. Do. There because you go. It just blew my mind yeah. that that was what people were doing. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, this is how we're going to cheat at elections. We're just going to grab people off the street, beat them up, dump alcohol down their throat, change their clothes, and then, like, drag them around a couple pole stations. That's the story. <laughs> but again, I'm not, it's not, I'm unclear as to how much that's like the contemporary how much was story. Yeah. Happening. So, a yeah. little bit unknown. All right. Then there were a slew of medical theories, you know, mm-hmm. some of which were contemporary, some of which have been sort of posited in later years. I'm going to just read you the list. Get ready right, for this. I'm ready. Different medical things that have been at one time or another uh, thought of as potentially the cause of death. Brain disease, mm-hmm. brain tumor, lesions on the brain, diabetes, enzyme deficiency, syphilis, apoplexy, delirium tremens, epilepsy, uh, meningeal inflammation, heart disease, lead poisoning, mercury poisoning, carbon monoxide poisoning, <laughs> after effects of cholera. That's based on the fact that Poe was in Philadelphia earlier that mm. year during a cholera epidemic. Hypoglycemia, rabies, the flu, tuberculosis, all of these things. I mean, it literally could have been any of them or possibly yeah. multiples of them. Yeah. I mean. Hard to know. That's the thing. Back then, I think people just died. Yeah. So that's so that's the other one, and then the final one is you know the rabies the, one that I've heard a lot about. Yeah, the rabies the one is definitely one. one I've heard a lot about the rabies one. Sometimes some people connect the rabies one to the cooping one, saying that perhaps he was kept in a. Um, you know, when he was cooped, that he was kept in a basement where there were rats and he was bit by the rats and he got the rabies. Okay, that seems like a really big stretch when literally you could have gotten bit at any moment anywhere in this city. I mean, he might have been found in a gutter where there's probably rats. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, why do you have to be kidnapped to be bitten by a rat when you're, you know, in the city in the 1800s? Exactly. So then wake up and rats like sharing your bed, you know? (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) It's like in your shoe. That's a trouble. So the last the the last kind of big theory is one that you sort of referenced before, which is, you know, that it was something related to alcoholism, Uh right? Um, And that theory was put out there by uh, Snodgrass, by his buddy, his buddy Snodgrass, the one who uh, Walker wrote to and who went and picked him up. he he was a supporter of that theory. You know, this is some sort of alcohol poisoning type right. death because he was an alcoholic. Now, it, there's a little bit of a trouble here. Number one, uh, Snodgrass is a big supporter of the temperance movement. And so there's a thought that he is sort of using Poe's death to promote the cause of the temperance yeah, movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And number two, um, Poe is actually not a big drinker uh, at that time. Um, it is not... The, the, this is the common thought of him, but it's not accurate. Yeah. Um, so this is what this stems from, and this is a very important kind of... A, a bigger than a sidebar. There's a very important note about this. Um, when... So he died, right, on October 7th, and two days later, on October 9th, um, there was an obituary published under the sort of uh, anonymous name of Ludwig, an obituary published in uh, in New York by mm-hmm. Ludwig, obituary of, of Edgar Allan Poe. Um, that obituary was actually written by a gentleman named Rufus Wilmot Griswold. Great name. Yeah. Rufus Wilmot Griswold. And Rufus Wilmot Griswold um, was a longtime rival of Poe's. Mm-hmm. And in that... And this is a fascinating story in and of itself. Um, in that obituary, he really heavily slanders Poe. He 
very much calls him a uh, you know a drunk mm-hmm. and a drug user and all of these things. He says he's he calls him erratic. Talks about how he would walk around the streets in in a delirium haze. To, uh, talks about his madness. All of these kinds of things. All of those passages of that obituary where he says those things are later discovered to be plagiarized from a book called The Caxtons. What? Yeah. The whole section where he talks about how... He didn't even write it himself. Nope. He stole it from... I knew he... Plagiarized I knew he slandered him in the obituary, but I didn't know he stole it. Yeah, just totally stolen. Oh, trashy. Totally okay, stolen. Okay, so then it's meaningless. And yeah. they, they had had a big rivalry yeah. during their lives. Poe um, uh, Griswold... Uh, was the editor of this book called The Poets and Poetry of America Anthology, where he would, um, you know, he would have poets, you know, submit to this. It was, you know, very well regarded. Um, Poe was, you know, one of his many writing gigs that he had. Um, He was a a critic. He was a literary critic. That's one of the things he did. And he wrote uh, an an article about the poets and poetry of America where he was critical of it. Um, And they did not do well after that. No. There was a lot of fighting Aww. between them. They also both um, were interested in the hand of uh, Francis Sargent Osgood, a uh, poet, female poet around mm-hmm. that time. Both were uh, interested in her romantic affections. Um, uh, Poe seemed to be more successful than Griswold there. and so, But they were, you know, yeah, they were rivals, rivals. rivals yeah. for her hand. Um, they had, yeah, they had this like long-going feud prior to his death. And then this obituary comes out that Griswold wrote. Griswold continued to stick it to Poe. Mm-hmm. He claimed and somehow was able to pull off the, the idea that Poe had named him, Griswold, his literary executor. What? Somehow he was able to convince people this was true, and he became the literary executor to Poe's ah. estate. So he had all control. So there was of nobody else, stuff. like no family or anything. There was some weird, sketchy stuff with his like next of kin, where he was like well, he had a, sis- he had he a sister. He married his cousin, so they're probably all like, "Yikes!" I don't think that they were. Back yeah, then. no, they probably. No, weren't. he had a younger sister that things were supposed to go to, mm-hmm. but but like Griswold produced a letter from like an older relative of Poe's who was again who was not in the mentally best place so like maybe that letter was falsified maybe not but like it shouldn't have been up to that person anyway because he had a sister it's all a mess but Griswold does successfully become the literary executor um in 1850 a couple uh that's you know year after that uh Griswold publishes a collection of Poe's work where he includes uh, in that collection he includes a biography that he Griswold wrote because, again, he's the executor, right? Sure. So he gets to write the biography. Um, he includes this biography that he wrote that, again, really paints him as a drunk and a drug addict. And that is where a lot of Poe's reputation as a drunk and drug addict comes from. Come from. He had had some issues in the past, but there are many, many people who say that, that A, he... Um, he had had some drug issues and things, but that that he was no longer doing that. Right. And B that he was not, in fact, a big drinker because he um, because it, uh, uh, it it really made him ill. Mm-hmm. So, so you had mentioned before, you know, that he was. It, I don't. I don't. It's hard to know for sure, but it does like, not appear thought, that he was a big drunk. I thought drinker he had at recently given up alcohol, like you know, recently before he died. Possibly yes. And because it was making him sick. Mm-hmm. 
And so that is also a sign that there was some kind of illness going on. Yes. You know what I mean? If like, it's like yes. some kind of stomach ailment or, you know, something kind of serious that possibly could have caused his death. So maybe he didn't necessarily like, you know, die from alcoholism, but he possibly, but I mean, he possibly did die. You know what I mean? Like it had like possibly taken its toll on his body. But again, it's so hard because so much of our popular notion of Poe sure, sure, sure. is, is based on this Griswold right. stuff. Or he could have just had some other completely type, different type of illness yeah. where alcohol was making him ill and he was just ill. Right. You know? Or he could have drunk the raven. Or he could have had the raven and was like, I'm and out. And that was that. And now it's that also possible. It. Yeah. Anyway, depression, suicide, alcoholism, murder, beating, cooping. It could be anything. Any of those medical threats, yeah. medical issues, don't know. And, um, and, uh, but he was delirious like that too. I mean, yeah. you know, cause like, did he have like a really high fever? Yeah. Did he, had he like, did he have any head injuries? You know, like had he hit his head at all? Like, yeah. And again, there's not really good medical right, records course, to be able to nothing. refer to. So I mean, it, so it's it, tough. it really could be anything, but it really, it is unknown yeah. and it is totally yeah, like an unknown to this appendicitis, yeah. you know, it's unknown, but going back uh, October 8th, one day after he died, uh, Poe was buried. He was buried at a um, church, a Presbyterian church in Baltimore. And very sad. Um, he, again, he's not from Baltimore. This is where mm-hmm. he is. So um, the, his, his burial is, uh, is sort of shockingly small and sad. It's, it's, a, it's like seven people are there. It's raining. It's like it's like a it's like a scene in a movie. Yeah. It's raining. It's a three minute ceremony where the um, where the officiant neglects to give a sermon because he feels that there's it's raining and nobody wants to be there. So they just kind of say a couple. It's three minutes. Says a couple words and they put him in the ground. He has like a super cheap coffin. Um, at first he he's buried like way in the back corner of this of this. Uh, Cemetery. He has no headstone, just a block that says number 80. Oh, jeez. Obviously, as the years go on and Poe's, you know, fame increases and his work begins to, you know, reach a wider audience, um, you know, that changes. Uh, And in 1875, he is um, he is uh, moved. His body is his body is moved. Um, you know, the, the, the creepy, the creepy stuff with him never ends. It just never ends. It just keeps going. When they move, when they go to move him in 1875, apparently they, um, apparently he's, he's buried in such a like cheap part of the church originally of the Mm -hmm. cemetery originally that they don't even like label things all that well. So at first they accidentally dig up the wrong body. Ah! How do they know? I don't know. I don't know. But somehow they do. But they dig up the wrong body, and then they're like, oops, let's put that back in. And then they get him out of the ground. And in 1875, he's reburied, still in that same cemetery, but in a more prominent location with a new monument. If you ever look up, if you ever go online and you look up, like, Poe's grave, you see, like, you yeah. see, like it's got a nice monument with his bust on it and everything yeah. like that. That was that was done in 1875 with okay. money raised from, like, like fans basically yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. you know the 1875 equivalent of a fan club um again the creepiness never stops so virginia his wife had been buried in new york because that's where they right. lived what, two years ago you know when she died um and in 1875 the same year that poe himself was moved to a new location the cemetery where virginia was buried in new york was demolished no one went to claim her remains 
Um, so the story goes that her remains were going to be just like lost, disposed of, however they dispose of like unclaimed remains. Mm-hmm. Um, but a biographer of Poe named William Gill happened to be there like right at the time. And, you know, as they're like tearing up this grave and it's like, what are you doing to Virginia Poe? You know, this is, you know, what, like what's, new, yeah. yeah like, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, no one's claimed her. We're, they're like this sack, <laughs> yeah, like this a, sack of bones. Like a little box. Yeah. Oh, well, you say that, you know, one claims her. And so, you know, so Gil is like, I will claim her bones. Takes, wow. takes her bones, stores them under his bed ah. for 10 years, during which time he works to get her buried with Poe and ultimately succeeds. In 1885, Gil is successful and Virginia is now buried next to You have Edgar. to be incredibly brave to store some dug up poor woman's bones under your bed. For 10 years. For 10 years and think to yourself, I'm not going to be haunted. No, it was fine. And just be like, listen, bones, listen. I'm helping you. I'm going, we're going to work this out. You it's going to be fine. You just got to chill. Don't haunt me. Yeah. And I'll get you. I'll get and you. Well, it'll be place. fine. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh, and then the final, the final detail, because again, the creepy factor never ends yeah. with Poe. The weird factor never ends. It just keeps on going. Uh, so he is, so he's, he's buried in that, uh, in that church and, or that cemetery in Baltimore. And starting in the 1930s, uh, there became a yearly tradition known as the Poe Toaster. Are you familiar with the Poe Toaster? No. Okay. Every year from somewhere in the 1930s until mm-hmm. 2009, every year on January 19th, that's Poe's birthday, okay. a gentleman would show up in the cemetery wearing black, carrying a cane, oh, having I've his heard face this. hidden. Yep, having his face hidden by yeah, like yeah, a scarf yeah. or something. He would go to the original gravesite, not the new one, the mm-hmm. original gravesite. He would drink a glass of cognac, hence the sidecar. Yeah. Cheers. He would drink a glass of cognac, he would leave a bottle there, and three red roses on the grave in like a particular pattern. Um, from the 1930s to 2009. 1930s to 2009. Was there any thought or speculation about who this was? There's been a little bit. Um, the guy who like run like I don't know, you know, the you know, there's like a you know, there's been people over the years who have run this cemetery, obviously, right? Right, right, right. And their sort of official stance is to like, you know, they don't they don't they don't really want to know. So like they don't really bother, they don't want to like look into it. They yeah, like yeah, give yeah. the guy space. They're like, yeah. you know, do do your thing. Um Yeah, there's been a, a couple kinds of different theories, but you know, I think just like just a guy. Um, the thought is that he uh, stopped doing it a few years before it ended and passed it off to someone else, mm-hmm. maybe a son, um, who seemed to not take it uh, as, seriously. as seriously. And and the, so then, like, in the later years, the, the last few years of it, they started, like, there were, like, notes. Sometimes there would be notes that were left. And the notes in the later years started to get, like, a little silly like mm. there was one note that was something about um, that had some reference. Like it was it's January nineteenth, so it's right around Super Bowl time. So there was one year where the Baltimore Ravens were playing in the Super Bowl. P.S. Baltimore Ravens named after Poe. Oh sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that they were playing in the Super Bowl, and so the note was some sort of weird Poe Poe style poem about like the Ravens shall defeat the Giants. No, well, no. So that, no. so people were like, oh, you jerk. I know you ruined it. Yeah. And then, and then actually ruined it so much that there was... All the goth kids are like, yeah. come on. 
the 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 I think it was the very final year, two thousand nine. Uh, again, there was a note left, and the um, the guy I don't know what you would call him, the person who who is in charge of the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he uh, caretaker. Yeah. Uh, he has said, you know, yeah, you know, there was a note that year. Um, it it did indicate that perhaps this would be the last year, um, but I'm but he has refused to like share what it says because he feels like it like it like defies the 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 good work of the Poe toaster. So it feels like it's he, he just doesn't won't tell people what's in yeah, that final he's like, note. You guys, it's it's too lame. Yeah, I it's can't do <laughs> pretty much that's what it sounds like. He he's just like, burns it. He's, he's like, like it, no. yeah, it seems like it's like something just very like just. Dorky. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to share like, I'm not this. Do this. You'll just be sad if I tell it to yeah, you. Yeah, it ruins it. So anyway, no one knows what happened. All right. Amazing. That's the deal with Poe. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I like how we did story, a really eh? serious Edgar Allan Poe deep dive. D- yes, absolutely. Yeah. There you go. All right. So. Cheers. A glass of cognac, cognac to Poe. Yeah, to mm. Poe. That's good. I like mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's super good. Are you ready for this story? I am ready. You got your sidecar? I got my sidecar. All right. Here got we go. Little little sugar. That's right. It's it's quite nice. You have to Good. really you really do have to sip it. Well for sure. I've I've already had like half mine. And so see if I can get through the story. I probably have like two sips left and yeah. mine is out. But <laughs> I right. but but I, but the pressure's off since I've already gone. So That's here we true. go. All, All right. right. This is the story of Mary Toft and her rabbits. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> You said before you didn't have a title. That's That's the the, title. That's the title. All right. Do you know anything about this? I am aware that there are rabbits that exist. Here we go. I've never heard of Mary Toft. Here we go. Okay. The story, this story of Mary Toft uh, first comes to the public's attention in late October 1726. These reports begin to reach London. I'm going to read you a short account from uh, a paper called The Mist's Weekly Journal. Oh, nice. November 19th, 1726. Okay. Okay, it's very difficult to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from Guilford comes a strange but well-attested piece of news that a poor woman who lived at Goldamin near that town was about a month past delivered by Mr. John Howard, an eminent surgeon and man midwife of a creature resembling a rabbit, but whose heart and lungs grew without. About 14 days since she was delivered by the same person of a perfect rabbit, and in a few days after of four more, and on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the fourth, fifth, and sixth instant of one in each day, in all nine, they all died in bringing into the world. Wait, 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 wait. Do you have, a, you have an idea of what's going on here? She gave birth to rabbits? <laughs> I, this is what the newspaper said. In 1726. All right. That that, that a poor woman gave birth to rabbits. To nine. To one creature resembling a rabbit. Yeah. And then to some other actual rabbits. Yeah. Okie dokie. Okay. All right. This was what was printed in seven. All right. So now I'm going to tell you the story. Oh, by the way, um, my sources here are the Paris Review and Wikipedia and Miss Weekly Journal. There you go. Okay. Okay. Oof. All right. So what's happening? Yeah, indeed. Okay. What's happening? Indeed. So we're going to start. The woman uh, mentioned in this article is Mary Toft. She is around 25 years old at this time, living in the town of Goldeming, Goldeming, I think, near London. So it's like kind of like, they sort of said like it's like on the uh, stagecoach 
mm-hmm. route to London okay. is where this town is. She lives with her husband, Joshua Toft, who is uh, known as an unskilled clothier. Aww. Which I, <laughs> I know, real bummer, Seems right? Mean. Which I guess is a tailor. Sure. And he wasn't very good at it. And there are three children. Mary herself was described as short, stocky, and a woman of sullen temper. <laughs> Jeez, these are some brutal descriptions. I know. Right. You're like, who's making these descriptions? I don't know. But she was uneducated, and the family was very poor. Um, in April of 1726, Mary is seven, sever, several weeks pregnant with a, her fourth child. She was um, weeding in a field, which is sort of like, you know, how she made money, and she catches sight of a rabbit. She is like, oh, free dinner, you know, I'm going to grab this rabbit or whatever. She chases it through the field, and then the animal escapes, but she just can't kind of get it out of her head, right? Uh-huh. She's just, she's talking about it. She's thinking about it all the time. She's just really obsessed with this rabbit. Um, Mary tells the story that over the next few weeks, she develops this, like, in really intense craving for rabbit meat. Which, I mean, is fair. She's pregnant. She probably wants, sure. like, iron and meat, you know. Yeah. Just, like, the, you know, like, this, you know, the calories, whatever. She obsesses over rabbit stew, rabbit pie, um, all different ways of making rabbit the craving becomes um, even stronger because she can't, like, she can't really get any kind of meat, really, because of their, you know, they have, like, a small income and they can't really afford it. Um, and then, of course, there's all the concern about, like, when the fourth child, you know, arrives, like, it's going to make them even poorer, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a really unfortunate, awful thing at the time. And also this time. Uh, <laughs> So Mary, um, in early August, Mary complains of some really painful, like, um, like complications in her pregnancy. So she's getting a lot of pain in her stomach and things like that. Um, later that day, she, um, like, kind of, you know, egested uh, several pieces of flesh. One saying, oh. like, as big as her arm. and. Um, okay. So it was. It's sort of assumed that she was probably experiencing a miscarriage at this time, right? Uh, but not, of course, not you know, really being able to understand or know what that was. Um, Mary does go into labor, though. So she in her she continues her pregnancy as far okay. as she knows. Um, she goes into labor on the twenty seventh of September. Uh, she calls her neighbor over. The neighbor comes over, and the neighbor watches as Mary delivers not a baby, but what looks to be animal parts. What? A pig's bladder, a cat's paw, and parts of a rabbit. What? <laughs> Is what she delivers. <laughs> Wait. Oh, get ready. Okay. We just got started. <laughs> okay. So the neighbor is like, what in the crap is happening? So she runs with the pieces that, you know, oh, of these animal okay. parts yes. over to Mary's mother-in-law, Ann Toft, who happens to be a midwife. Which you're like, why were you not there when she's giving birth? But yeah, anyway, probably would have been helpful, but yeah. yeah. So Ann Toft looks at this these animal pieces and she's she's horrified. So she um, she sends for John Howard, who is a Guilford based man midwife, which that cracks me up that they That's call it. Yeah, that. I love that. Man midwife who has thirty years of experience, right? Yeah. So he's super experienced. Now here's the thing. This, there's no way they can afford this man, right? Sure, He's yeah, obviously yeah. just, like, somebody who, you know, attends to, like, wealthier people. And she's, you know, this very poor woman. Um, so, but he does come. He So we're sort of assuming he came out of curiosity because she well, obviously couldn't, yeah. you know, couldn't afford that fancy male midwife. I mean, you wouldn't go, obviously. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So um, John Howard shows up to find out what's going on. 
he looks at the animal parts and he's just like, you know, no dice. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here, but like she didn't deliver this, sure. right? Yeah. Then um, he, he examines Mary. He doesn't find anything. Uh, and then Ma- Mary goes into labor again. Okay. Um, in front of John Howard. Over the next few days, John Howard himself delivers three legs of a cat. What? A, yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> okay. Three legs of a cat of a tabby color. One leg of a rabbit. The guts of a cat. And in them were three pieces of backbone of an eel. This is quoted. And then she delivered more rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> this is already the weirdest story we've ever done. You are you are sure this is this is true. This, this is, is not Listen. You didn't find this. This is not an episode of the X-Files. This is an actual story. This is an actual story. What the okay? heck? This is what he said. Okay. This is what he claims the male midwife with all this experience decorated 30 year pro that he is delivering from her. Oh man. Okay. This is like the most messed up Roald Dahl story <laughs> he ever wrote. Totally is. Totally. <laughs> it's like a rejected kid's His book. His editor's like, Ro, 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 we're not no, going to, no, no, we're not going to no, do this. This no. is, you need to stop. You need to go home <laughs> and you need to rethink this story and send something back here. But, but it's a charming tale for They're the like, kids. No, no, get out of here. Okay. It's called Mary Toft and the Rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a very charming title. Okay. So by, um, so at this point, Howard, you know, he reports the case to, um, these, to like medical men of London, right? So at this point he's like, you know, writing letters and like reporting his findings and all this. But by the time he does this, he has now delivered 11 rabbits from Mary Toft, which he puts in pickled, he pickles them the pieces of the rabbits in jars and lines them up on the shelf of his study. Okay. Okay. So he has all these pieces of rabbits that he is saying, and other animal parts, mostly rabbits, that he's saying is coming from this woman that this woman is delivering. He pickles them, puts them in little jars, and puts them in his office. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have to keep them. (laughs) He's like, hey, guys from London, check this out. Okay. So, of course, the news of this spreads like crazy. Well, yeah. Right? King George I hears about this infamous woman giving birth to rabbits. He sends a man named Henry Davenant, I think we're going to go with that, who is a member of the court to see for himself what's happening, right? So King George is like, get yeah. over there, need, find out what's real. going on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that you can't take pictures and stuff, so yeah. you got to send somebody. Um, so Henry Davenant... We're going to say he examines all the samples that uh, Howard had collected and like, you know, gets all the information, like interviews them, whatever. He returns to London like a believer. Uh-huh. He's like, this is happening. I saw proof, you know. Um, so, of course, George the first and the, the court is like super excited. Um, and then Howard um, moves Mary to Guildford, I guess, which is like the larger town okay. um, where he he is and to like his, you know. I guess home or his, you know, where he works or whatever. And he, um, he then offers to deliver rabbits in the presence of anyone who doubts the story. How does he, how does he offer that? You want a rabbit? I'll get a rabbit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mary. I don't know. Rabbit. Like, Mary, give me a rabbit. Give me a rabbit. Give me a rabbit. So this guy doubts. Yeah. Give me, give me one. <laughs> Come on, make it happen. So at this point, the case comes to the attention of Nathaniel St. Andre. Mm-hmm. Is that how you, um, sure, yeah. we're going to go with that? He is a surgeon to the royal household. Oh, okay. okay. This guy is a lot. He has a che- very checkered past. He was born and raised in Switzerland. This is the 
Nathaniel St. Andre, okay. the royal surgeon. He wandered across Europe working as a servant. He was like a, you know, a teacher. He was a dancer. He was a fencing instructor. Um, he was very charming. He seduced a lot of women. And he only became interested in medicine after sort of noticing the wealth of uh, a surgeon who was, like, treating him for this injury that he got when he was fencing students. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so he wasn't originally a surgeon. Right. He just, he's like this kind of, you know, you know, like, gad about London kind of guy. And then injured himself and meets the surgeon is like, hey, you've got tons of money. Like, I'm getting into this. He just went into medicine for the money? (laughs) How could that be? He was like the original, um, you know, what do you call them? Like 90210 doctors. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. I can't say. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I had. I'm with you. Half that sidecar. Okay. So he, at this point, he decides he's going to be a physician. Um, I don't know what you do at that time. I don't know how much, like, he, like, studying he had to do. Yeah, It seems right. like he just kind of went and decided to become a physician. But he made his way to London. He got, like, some sort of, like, a small apprenticeship. And then basically was like, I'm a surgeon. Sets up his own practice and basically gets his way into the Georgian court. Because I think he was, like, really charming and kind of connected and just is like, I'm a surgeon. And becomes surgeon to the royal household. Yeah, yeah. Man. Yep. There you go. Right. I'm, 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 yeah. I now want to like read a whole book about like the sketchy surgeons of the royal household. Between oh, this I bet guy there were and, tons. Well, there's that guy everybody yeah. thinks is Jack the Ripper. There's that guy. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, there's, all, there's, you know there's a lot of bad ones. Yep. Okay. So Nathaniel St. Andre is now, you know, with the royal family. He's the surgeon. And he, so he hears about the story, of course. So he's like, I am going to investigate, like, blah, blah, sure. blah. So he arrives. Um, he heads down to Guilford, um, where John Howard is. And he arrives just in time to see Mary deliver a rabbit's torso. Um, St. Andre's account, um, he details, like, about how he examined the rabbit, right? So he, he starts to do, like, all these experiments. He checks to see if the rabbit had breathed air at all. He places a piece of its lung in the water to see if it would float, which it did. I do not know how that proves anything. <laughs> that's got a real, that's got a real, uh, she's a witch Yeah, 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 to yeah. It. He's like, this means something. Yeah. He also then does some sort of examination that um, that he is able to conclude that the rabbits were bred in her fallopian tubes, which I also would like to point out. I don't know what. Oh, man. There's no. Okay. There, yeah, I don't know what sure. he did that he fi- that he was able to to you know figure that out. Medicine back then is amazing. Yeah, it's just He's so like, weird. And it was in the fallopian tubes. Yeah, which like no babies are in the fallopian tubes. <laughs> like that's you're in trouble if the baby's in your fallopian tubes. <laughs> okay, so. Um, later that day, Mary Toft uh, delivers the torso of another rabbit, which the men examine. And then they return that evening to find Mary Toft in violent um, contractions. Another examination follows, and uh, St. Andre himself delivers some rabbit skin, followed a few minutes later by the rabbit's head. Both men inspect the pieces and noting that some of them <laughs> resemble the body parts of a cat. Oh, uh, so we've elevated now to cat it's rabbits. It's just so awful. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. remember the first one where there was like a cat's paw oh, yeah, in there. Right. It's like pieces of animal. It's really oh, bad. Oh, man. It's okay. Really okay. Okay. So now, so these men are studying this and they're reporting back to the king and the king's just like, oh, I am into this. Like, yeah. this is the best story I've ever heard. So he now sends uh, another surgeon named Syracuse? That's a tough one. I know. Syracuse? 
Psoriacus Allers. There you go. We're that sounds go. good, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I like it. Psoriacus Allers to Guilford. So he sends all, we're going to call him Allers. So he sends Allers uh, to check this out as well. So he arrives on November 20th and he examines Mary Toft and is like, he sees no signs of pregnancy whatsoever. Okay. He also feels like John Howard is acting very bizarre. Oh. Um, and they won't allow Allers, whatever, to help with the deliveries at all. So they're oh, acting like super, okay. he's suspicious and he feels like everybody's being really weird and he basically feels like it's a hoax. Yep. Um, but he lies to everyone and is like, you know, yes, totally believing this. This is amazing. And sort of says he believes Mary's story and then kind of, you know, heads back to London and takes some of the specimen of the rabbits with him. So there he studies them and he finds, which I'm going to assume that he's doing a little bit, he has some more training. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yes, right. He sort of finds that they there's evidence that the rabbit specimens that she supposedly delivered have been cut with a man-made instrument. And then he also notes that there are pieces of straw and grain in uh, sort of the pieces and in the, like the droppings okay, of the okay. animal or whatever. So he, which, you know, like you can really see that he would have found that and then be like, this is weird. Why would they have straw and grain in yes. them? They shouldn't have eaten. <laughs> like, right, yeah. Why would it, you know, anyway, things like that. So he, he reports all this to the king. John Howard and St. Andre are very displeased. Um, during this time, Toph gives birth to two more rabbits. Sure, right, yep. <laughs> she delivers um, stuff that looks kind of possibly like a placenta, but she becomes really sick. She has, like, all this pain in the right side of her abdomen. Um, and then St. Andre is, like, really doubling down okay. on this, right? So he starts collecting affidavits from all these witnesses, and they cast doubt on um, the other surgeon, uh, Aher's honesty. And then on November 26th, they give an anatomical demonstration before the king to support Mary's story. So they're in it to win it. To the king? They deliver something? They, they, yeah, okay. I think they, okay. they tra- he travels yeah. to the king and with, you know, all his witness affidavits and all this. And he gives, like, this huge demonstration okay. for the king, you know, in, in favor of Mary's story. And the king's like, on board. Thumbs yeah, up. Keep sure. it coming. So at this point, Mary has become quite famous. Um, this is a very poor woman with no prospects, and now everyone knows who she is. Obviously, she's in, you know, what was that thing called? The the Miss Weekly Journal, yeah. which I'm sure was huge. Um, it was like the New York Times at the time. <laughs> it's a little bit like, uh, she, like she's on Britain's Got Talent, and her there talent is giving birth to rabbits. That's right, exactly. Yeah. She is brought before the king. Um, he, br- he brings her to court. He wants to study her there, and he promises her a royal pension. Uh-huh. Um, so this is all over the papers. People stop eating rabbit for dinner. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> because okay. Because they're like, maybe they're babies? Like, we don't know. <laughs> yep. Um, although many physicians privately feel that this is a hoax. Sure. But a lot of them are not, they're not really speaking up because, you know. People were into it. Yeah. yeah, It's too, you know. So under St. Andre's control, Mary is studied by um, many physicians and surgeons, including a man named John Mowbray. Mm -hmm. We're going to say Mowbray. So John Mowbray is another just stellar top-notch physician, Okay. He wrote, um, I don't know if this is like a paper or a book, but it was called The Female Physician. And Mowbray writes this. And in it, he proposes that women could give birth to a creature that he calls the Suterkin. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah. oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Okay. What's a Suterkin, you ask? 
Um, a Sudokin that supposedly women are giving birth to is a small creature that's about the size of a mouth, <laughs> a mouse, that certain oh. women are believed to be capable of giving birth to. So not everybody, but some women. So it is um, attributed to the to the sort of tendency that Dut- of Dutch women to frequently sit on stoves or use them under their petticoats to keep warm, <laughs> hence causing the breeding of a small kind of animal that would mature and be born. Oh, man. And now, this is this dude's theory. He's like, I've published a book about this. Yes. Call, okay. and this, so for the life of me, I, did, I really looked. I do not understand how Dutch women sitting on a stove would create wow. this animal sure. called the Suderkin. Like, I don't even understand how he made that connection or why one equals the other. Why yeah. would that make yeah. birth anything? Oh. <laughs> like, I don't understand why that's connected to a mouse. No. I guess nope. mouses are probably running on the... I don't understand where how he got to this. And also, like, ladies are not sitting on stoves. Doesn't seem like they would, no. Burn you. Yeah, that seems like a bad choice. Right. <laughs> Pull your skirts up and sit on the stove like it's not happening. No. So, anyway. So, this is what Mowbray was writing about before this happened. Okay. Okay? Just to give you an idea of... This is what, yeah, of, is what we're dealing yeah, with. of his studies. So, Mowbray is an advocate for what he calls maternal impression. And this is a belief that conception and pregnancy could be influenced by what the pregnant mother dreamt of or saw. So Mowbray warns... Oh, because she, pre- she saw the rabbit. Yeah. Mowbray warns pregnant women, and he's doing this before the Mary thing. Uh-huh. Mowbray warns pregnant women that um, being too familiar with their household pets could make their children resemble... The said, Suderkin. ...said pets. Oh, boy. So I guess if you're Dutch... Yeah. ...and you're sitting cold on stove. and you're just sitting on a stove... <laughs> and, you, and, you're ...to warm yourself, ...and you're petting a cat and you see a mouse run by... You're going to give birth to a you got a suitor kid. Yeah, that's how it works. That's the theory. So, oh, yeah. okay. Really, really disappointing for Man. the men of the of the 18th century. All right, there we go. Yeah, for the physicians, and these are the men who are delivering and giving treatment yeah, right. to these women who are in childbirth, which is horrifying. Which is why most of them stayed very far away from physicians. And they would just use midwives or sure. neighbors or family member or other women who had given birth. Yeah, because you don't because want that guy over there. At least those ladies are like, listen, no one's giving birth to tiny mouses. Yes, I think <laughs> like, that's fair. I mean, they seem to. Yeah, do you see it? I looked up Suderkin. Oh, what is that? Look There's at that. There's pictures of Suderkins. Wow. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's really scary. Okay, back to Mary. Um, all right, so one of the leading skeptics of the time, finally we get a skeptic, right? Richard Manningham, and he is a colleague of St. Andre's. He sort of briefly saw Mary uh, before she went to the court, and he examined her, and she would sort of have convulsions, she would faint, she would scream, her belly would, like, you know, move up and down and all that kind of stuff, but he, she never delivered anything in front of him. So he really felt like that it just seemed very, like, fake yeah, put right. on to him. Um, then the big scandal happens. Uh-huh. Okay, ready? okay, I'm ready. So Richard Manningham is kind of digging into stuff and trying to figure out what's going on. And a porter at the house where Mary Toft is living in London reports that Mary attempted to bribe him into smuggling pieces of rabbit mm. into her quarters. Okay, okay. So Manningham confronts Mary 
at first she's like, what are you talking about? She's very defensive. She's very angry. And then Manningham sort of, you know, suggests to her that, like, the only way that he can really discover the truth about all of this is to do a surgery. Uh, and, ex- you know, like an exploratory surgery and find out what's going on sure. with her insides. Which is not a good thing so you, you want to submit yourself to at this time. Yeah, right? So Mary yeah. starts, she just has a total breakdown and confesses everything. Confesses that it's all a hoax. Uh, okay. So, Aww. here we go. This is what happens. All right. Okay? You think that it can't get worse and it's about to get a little bit worse. Okay. So, Following her miscarriage, so Mary did have a miscarriage at that time uh, when she sort of delivered, you know. um, Yes. And she knew that she did. Um, So following the miscarriage, while her cervix permitted, while her cervix was still open because she had had this miscarriage and like delivered, you know, Uh like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And had some. I don't don't like where this is going. I I don't like, I don't like that you use the word wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're out of drink, which you're going to regret. Okay. (laughs) An accomplice of Mary's inserted into Uh, her womb the claws uh, and body of a cat and the head of a rabbit. Oh, man. So she's like, has this miscarriage. And then she's like, she's like, you guys, I got an idea. Hey, guys, while we're here, while my cervix is open. I got a plan. Why don't you just uh, stuff some of these animal pieces in there? All I can think about uh, is infection, infection, infection. Oh, man. Okay? You can't just yeah. put these in there. No, it doesn't work that way. Oh, <laughs> Mary. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all okay. right. All right. We're going to get past it. <laughs> okay. They invent a story. Which Toft claims during her pregnancy, she sees this rabbit in a field because obsessed with rabbits, so like that never happened. She okay. just like, you know, made that. And then they put, you know, the animal parts up there. Um, so there's now there's pressure to confess everything. She blames her mother in law, um, who's the you know, the midwife who went and got John Howard in the first place, right? But so wait, but this didn't all happen at once. This wasn't one time. Right, but she's saying this is how it started. Okay. So, like, me and a bunch of my lady okay, friends okay. got together after I had this marriage and decided to do this. Okay. Right? All right. Like yeah, sorry, guys. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. And then she also claims, so she blames her mother-in-law for putting her up to it. She claims that a traveling, some woman, traveling woman, some woman just, you know, you know, walking through the street or whatever, just, like, tells her how to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got any interest in knowing how to uh, get some rabbits? I know. Um, and also that, like, you know, creating the scheme would ensure that she would never want as long as I live. Sure. Um, so basically she appears at the, the courts of quarter sessions at Westminster. I don't know what that is. Uh You know, the court and is charged for being in a cheat and imposter and pretending to be delivered of several monstrous births. Wait. Okay. So according to her story is Howard in on this? Well, okay, here we go. Let me, let me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so uh, initially, no. Okay. Initially, it's her, like the neighbor, her mother-in-law, and then they go and like tell Howard in order to like you know get the story. Sure. Going. Right. Yes. Okay. So at this point, Mary Toft refuses to talk anymore. She's like just shutting it down. Um, and then the timing of Mary Toft's confession proves very awkward to Saint Andre, who on December third publishes his forty-page pamphlet. A short narrative of extraordinary delivery of rabbits. <laughs> oh man! Did you read a short narrative of an extraordinary delivery of rabbits? No, oh, I don't man. know if you can find it. Oh boy! But that's a real bummer for him. Yeah. So he's out there getting ready to do his book tour, and 
pamphlet oh, to her, and then Mary, you know, Mary's confession blows everything up. Oh, that's good so stuff. So on this document, he's like, uh, he's like James Frey. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. On his document, uh, which the short narrative of extraordinary delivery of rabbits, he had staked his reputation, which is a real bummer. Yep. So um, on December 9th, uh, St. Andre recants oh, boy. <laughs> his views. And then um, he, he's a little bit interesting because just a little aside of what happens to him. Um, so that's, this is happening in 1726. Three years later, um, British astronomer and politician Samuel... Molyneux. Molyneux. Do you know who... I, I uh, yeah, I've heard. It. I know, yeah, I know. So he's... Um, uh, yeah, he's like a famous astronomer. Yeah. He's a famous politician or whatever. He dies, and then uh, St. Andre marries his widow, Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Yeah. But this is um, really makes everybody very angry. and Because um, he's the rabbit jerk. Well, yeah, and I think yeah. that he did it, like, they married quite quickly. And Molyneux's cousin accused him of poisoning. Uh, of poisoning Molyneux? Oh, dang. I don't know if it was him or just poisoning in general. <laughs> okay, okay. And then St. Andre sues him for defamation. But basically his career is, like, over at this point. So, like, in the next, you know... After the so he has this rabbit yeah. scandal and then he has this Molyneux scandal and then like that's it like and then his you know his um, career is damaged and Elizabeth's you know uh, she's damaged and like she she was a attendant on Queen Caroline and she loses that and he's humiliated at court and like that's the end they basically like retire to the country okay. so that's what happens to him okay. So Manningham is very, he's the guy who sort of broke the story, like the guy who didn't, Richard. Who yes, didn't right, right. It. Yeah. He was desperate to like get himself removed from the story, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't want to be lumped in with these other doctors who believe it. Yeah, so yeah. He publishes a diary of his observations of Mary with an account of her confession on December 12th. So basically he's sort of like, I'm the one who right, know, discovered yeah. the fraud. Um, this becomes just massive news. Sure, because right? it was already big, right? Sure, yeah. sure. So there's sort of like two kind of huge stories going on. One is like that these physicians are like, you know, completely idiots. They're, you know, they bought into the story. They don't know any better. There's like a whole bunch of um, articles going around about like where they um, sort of a play on words where it's like very body and like, you know, like uh-huh. these physicians are just like they're like trying to look up women's skirts and like, yeah. you know, weird gross things with, like, animals and, you know, like, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of, like, innuendo stuff going on about these physicians that people are, you know, having a great time with. Mary, unfortunately, is sort of, you know, pitted as, like, just a stupid creature or, like, a tool of um, her husband or these other men or whoever who, like, sort of manipulated to her into the scam hoping to get money. Um, And then, uh, like... There was, like, a spoof um, thing written in a paper called Much Ado About Nothing that was uh, depicting Mary as, like, a stupid, amoral woman. Um, Mary spends... Mary is sentenced um, for, you know, like, sort of the hoax and yeah. the fraud or whatever for pretending to have monsters. Pretending to give birth. birth to rabbits, yeah. <laughs> Standard crime. Yeah. <laughs> she is sentenced to uh, several weeks inside... Um, <clears throat> is it Bridewell Prison? Yeah. yeah. Bridewell Prison, and... It's this is pretty awful. Like her part of her punishment was to be humiliated, so she's only there for like a you know few weeks. But several times a week, members of the public are invited in 
they pay a small fee, and then Mary is like paraded before oh, them by the jailers, okay. and like so that they could just like laugh and probably like spit at her and do all. I'm sure, things, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah, it's terrible. Throw tomatoes at her, and yeah, things like it's that. Yes. really awful. And so um, she is released um, from Bridewell, and then gives birth to a little girl. Oh wow! So okay. I don't know how long after that it was, but she does have another child. Um, her story really lives on for many decades. Um, people still talked about it. It was still written about in the papers. It was still referenced. Um, but she herself sort of disappeared completely from all records, except for a news report, newspaper report many years later that she had been convicted of petty theft. Uh, Was it a rabbit? Uh, yeah. <laughs> did, did she stole? Did she steal a rabbit? She's like, I gotta have these rabbits. Um, but, uh, you know, it's sort of assumed that her life was probably quite difficult and yeah. sad. Um, and that is the story of Mary Toft and her rabbits. Oh, man. Yeah. That, okay. Now, so this is our, what, our 15th episode, something yeah. like that? That might be the weirdest story we've ever had. It might be one of the weirdest stories I've ever heard. That's incredible. Because it just goes on for so long. Incredible. And they just, she really, really doubled down on it. Wow. So, I mean, at some point, John Howard and obviously St. Anthony, yeah, like yeah. They, had, they were in on it, right? Yeah, for sure. So, I like, you know, obviously, probably Howard figured out what she was doing, because, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can only do it without help once. And then that, you know, they started assisting her, and they're just like, this is going to be our claim to fame. Yeah, right. You want to know the conversation that went on oh, to be man. like, all right, listen, we know that you're just shoving rabbits <laughs> up there, God. and we want in on this. We would also like uh, to participate. Wow. Or if everybody just pretends like it's really happening. Sure. Um, because that's the other thing. Other people had to be smuggling animal parts into her the whole time. Yeah, right. Right? Right. Um, yeah. It's all right. It's just... Nuts. Amazing. And, you know, wait, I mean, thumbs up for Mary's immune system <laughs> that she was oh, able to. She survived all that, she yeah. She was able to survive it. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm sure they weren't clean. No. Oh, no. God, no. They had pieces yeah. of hay on them. Right? I know. Oh, wow. So there you go. All right. Mary Toft. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 to say goodbye, I can't even like cheers anybody in your story. I don't feel good about giving a cheers to anyone there. <laughs> I'm going to give a cheers to Mary because I, you know, so the it's Paris fair. Review article was really interesting where it talks about how, you know, it's a woman who had no prospects. Like there's yeah. no way to pull yourself out of poverty at that time. She's starving. They've got these three kids. Her husband obviously can't sew. Like, you know, they've got problems. She just sees I don't even know why this came up. If someone, you know, like if she came up with the idea or someone gave her the idea, but they just see this as a chance to like, I don't know if they were trying to make money off of it or just get some notoriety or have some sort of like something in her life, you know, of interest. It just, I don't know. It's definitely a creative approach. And for that, you do have to give her some credit. Yeah, She she thought outside the box. Her way of trying to get out from under that. Right. And it almost worked. Like she was going to get a royal pension. If she would have been able to like put a halt to it in a, in a normal way where she's like, I'm done. Like I'm only giving birth to this many and then wouldn't let anyone examine her anymore. Yeah. She might've just been able to like sit back with a royal pension and just be that lady. Man. Who gave birth to rabbits. Yep. And but then stopped. But she didn't. She just wouldn't quit doing it. You know what I mean? All right. And eventually you're going to get busted. 
So fair enough. All then right, to anyway, Mary, to Mary for her outside the box thinkings. <laughs> well done, Mary. Very oh, innovative. Good stuff. All right, and that. Thank you. Thank you. That is our episode. There you go. Yep. What's your final verdict on the sidecar? I like it. I good. probably shouldn't have any more. I just have a little bit left, but yeah, it's good. good. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you. Stay away from rabbits. Oh, jeez. Hi, this is Fraser with information on next week's creepy cocktail. Next week, we're going to be having a sherry cobbler. It's a sort of slushy of sherry. What you need is four ounces of sherry, three orange slices, and a half ounce of simple syrup. Put all of those along with some ice in a shaker, shake it up, and pour it into a glass over a whole heaping pile of crushed ice. Add a bunch of berries and mint and whatever you want to garnish. Put a straw in it, and you've got a sherry cobbler. It's lovely and refreshing. Make yourself one, and join us next week for our next episode. Until then, you can find us online at Twitter at CreepyHist, and on Instagram at CreepyHistPod. See you then.